Hey everyone, welcome to What the Meta, a podcast in which I, Spencer Bing, sit down with esports industry professionals and talk with them about the work they're doing and how they got there. The aim of this podcast is to provide you with insight about getting involved in maintaining a career in the esports industry. Today we have a very special guest, John Koob, <laughs> uh, currently a manager at SteelSeries, doing uh, pretty much uh, managing their social media um, and... Yeah, I think previously we, we met originally um, out in Los Angeles. It was at uh, E3. We were, uh, it was like mutual friend of a friend or someone, maybe someone you worked with, I think. Yeah, uh, it was E3 2018, 2017. 17, I think. Yeah, 20, 2017, I think. Um, and to be one hundred percent honest i can't remember what the exact connection is between uh you and i as far as how we initially met as far as out there i can't remember if it was a cold email or if it was through a co-worker of mine but uh now that i think about it it, it was a uh, I i kind of i knew someone that maybe you were meeting with and uh, <laughs> And uh, oh. they, they invited me to join along in the meeting. Um, and, right. And I knew them very loosely, too. So it was like I was a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest. But <laughs> uh, it, it made for a very interesting uh, dynamic. Right. And, and for context, uh, the position I had at the time was um, social media manager for a company called Battlefy, uh, B-A-T-T-L-E-F-Y. And... Uh, the, the whole purpose of that company or why it exists is it's an online tournament platform for uh, players to find esports tournaments on, for organizers to create and manage their tournaments, and then for brands to uh, work with the platform to host events and, and take care of data collection and uh, run kind of grassroots esports tournaments. Um, so yeah, we were at E3 that year, and like we went to all events, um, trying to meet up with anyone and everyone. And when serendipitous uh, things like that happen, uh, that's you know that was the entire reason that we went to events was to just hope to connect with anyone we possibly could. And you know, look at that. Two years later, uh, we're still you know or three years later, close to. Uh, we've still kept in touch and obviously, you know, going to that was worth it. So yeah, I'm really happy and appreciative to be on, man. Yeah. Still, still alive and kicking, still, uh, doing our thing. Um, couple, couple changes, but a lot, lot, um, very, very much still active. Um, absolutely. Okay. So something I like to ask to just about everybody who comes on the podcast is, uh, for you, was there a moment in which you, uh, I don't know much about your background, um, is there a, was there a moment in particular where you kind of said to yourself, like, hey, I'd really like to work in gaming or esports. There's, uh, like, I'm fascinated by it. I'm interested in games or whatever. Was there a moment for you that stands out? Yeah, I, there's more of a lot of little moments that led up to the opportunity for me to have a position in esports um, as opposed to one kind of conscious binary decision uh, and a quick kind of puked out version of my background uh, went to a 
small high school in Iowa, which is where I grew up from third grade on, um, coming from Houston, the Houston area where I still have family. Um, moved to Iowa because a lot of my mom's family was slash is here. And a small town of uh, 1,500-ish. And throughout kind of growing up in high school, I, I told myself that I really wanted to be a relationship therapist or a motivational speaker for various reasons. But uh, I knew there was no real clear route to be a motivational speaker. You have, you have to actually have experiences to be a motivational speaker. And it's not like I necessarily had a ton to, to motivate you know, large groups of people or even small groups of people at the time. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to go to college and, and study psychology to eventually uh, become a relationship therapist. And I'll worry about the motivational speaking part later. Um, uh, got my first job as a, uh, my first ever job besides working cashier at my local pool in the summers, uh, was working at the law library at the University of Iowa doing clerical work. Um, it was one of those, my mom forced me to get a job. So this is the first one I could find type situations. Mm. And I was literally stacking books, um, not too far after maybe six-ish months uh, into that and this is now my sophomore year in college i'm still studying psychology still enjoying that um i get reached out to by a social media marketing agency in iowa city uh and they had seen some of the activity that i was um doing on my own personal like twitter and and uh facebook account and some of the content that i was putting out uh, organically from my own account and they reached out and said hey like we do social media marketing uh, we like what you're posting would you like to come talk about working with us and they sent me a tweet uh, in response to one of mine and I immediately thought it was spam because who who does that and the, again this is 2012 mind you so literally so very early yeah eight years ago at this point um but I, I went in, I met with the, one of the co-founders of this startup in Iowa City, which I obviously found out to be real. And they had gone through an entrepreneurship program. Um, there were like six or seven employees, four of them full-time. They were running uh, ads and, and working with different, mostly Iowa City businesses on social media campaigns. And they said, hey, like, you should come be a community manager for us. Like, we really enjoy your take on social and how you interact with people online and how it's not, you know, transactional, but more conversational. So I thought, you know, okay, like, this is better than working at the law library. Um, so I, I started with them as a community manager uh, in, I think, February 2012. Is either February or October 2012. I can't remember which side of the year it was on. But I started working for them, ran uh, anywhere from like five to 10 different businesses, social accounts at a time. Um, and again, this is a 2000, 2012, 2013 world where it was basically Twitter, Facebook, Instagram was still extremely green to the world at that point. Um, but it was Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, really. So I was doing a ton of community management. Uh, some of the brands were pretty, uh, for lack of a better term, just boring. It's like a real estate brand, um, like a frozen yogurt brand was probably my favorite one that 
that I worked for at the time, but in a couple other local businesses. And we had a few uh, national businesses as well that I was helping with. Uh, but I kind of learned my chops there as far as general social media marketing, very wide, very wide skill set of like, hey, here's how to run a general targeted Facebook ad. Here's general community management principles, uh, et cetera. So even still at this point, nothing, nothing related to gaming whatsoever um, going into like 2014. Um, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, I kind of got poached from that position by uh, some friends who had started a basically another startup uh, that was an education technology startup that was a app for students and teachers to connect with one another uh, and I started running community and social for them so was working in the higher ed space but again still a startup um, I also worked at the same time for the University of Iowa uh, running social media audits for them and also running social for their student marketing and design department uh, and, a, and a fun fun fact that i'm still proud of myself for somehow pulling off uh, i pitched the university of iowa to get on snapchat and i was actually the first person to run snapchat for the university of iowa which at the time as a sophomore junior in college uh representing I don't know what the exact population of Iowa City as a school is, but um, you know, thousand, dozens and dozens of thousands of people, um, or tens of thousands of people, excuse me, representing them from my phone uh, on Snapchat was uh, one of the coolest things I had ever done. And sending the first Snapchat as the University of Iowa was, you know, like I saw the screenshot on my phone of, of that first snap, and it was one of those situations early on in social marketing days where I had to convince people that Snapchat wasn't just where kids were sending nude photos to each other. Um, it was like that early in, in people's heads still. And now if you go take a look at the University of Iowa Snapchats, it's it's one of their main marketing channels, um, you know, a few years later. So that's something I'm pretty proud of. Um, the the startup that I was working for, the one that I mentioned that, that my friend started, that was an education technology startup, had a a seed investment of uh, right around a million dollars. And that helped us out for close to a year, year and a half. But long story short, that money ran out. And this was right at the time that uh, I had graduated from college, had a BA in psych. Uh, so still had studied psychology, you know, in the background of this whole time of working for these different uh, startups and, and doing marketing and social. Um, the company ran out of money. I'm a few months out of college and I start to think to myself, okay, what the hell am I going to do now? Um, do I go back and get my master's? Do I get my PhD in psych and, and continue down that path? Or do I do something completely new? Do I stick with this marketing and social stuff since I already have, you know, three close to four years of experience in it already? Um, at, you know, with paying jobs under my belt. Uh, so I just did a lot of a lot of searching online, trying to find a job that I thought was cool. And I came across uh, Battlefy on AngelList. I think at the time it was Angel.co. I, I don't know. I don't even know what it's what the official website is now, but um, it was at least previously referred to as AngelList. It's it's a website for startups and 
I thought, oh, this is a cool company. Um, they're in esports. They're looking for a social slash community manager, someone who can help kind of form their brand from you know the ground up. Uh, you know, just shot the I shot the founder a message on this AngelList company uh, after I submitted my resume and told the founder that hey. I really appreciate what you guys are doing as a company here. So I think I could help on the brand slash social side. And two weeks later, uh, I was on a flight to Vancouver where the company is headquartered and I was starting my job. Um, and that's it. Um, like I said, that's the, the very quick, uh, it could be a lot longer, but the, the quick version of, um, how I got into esports. Uh, before that, I had no job or experience in esports, but this startup, um, I was literally employee number 14 or 15 at this company, uh, needed someone's help and guidance with social media and um, hiring someone right out of college that could work remotely from Iowa, um, which I did for three years, worked for them financially. It worked for me financially for a while. Um, and yeah, that, that's that's how I got into space. Very good. <clears throat> Thanks for that uh, detailed introduction and uh, <laughs> yeah, and background. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, how has some of your uh, well, actually, touching on one of the things you, you mentioned, um, yeah, you please. work at, you work in the community space. So you, how do you deal with? You talked about having some boring boring clients early on, like when you were first getting yeah. started. How did you uh, how did you work through those? Yeah, at the great question. Um, at the time, I think I was pretty naive in the sense of just treating them like clients and part of the job. Um, looking back on it, I think I could have done a lot better job to learn more about each one of those clients to, to try to extract better content out of the situation I was in. But having con or having clients like uh, like I said a, a local real estate agency a one of them was a extermination or like like a, a green it, I can't even remember what it was it was something with cleaning products and uh, bug killer type stuff mm. um, all of these very random but seemingly boring on the surface brands uh, I learned at the time, and even more so in like retrospect, looking back, uh, if brands like that can do well on social, and if they can put out content that is relevant to their community, but not necessarily about the product they're selling, then they're doing a good job. And that's how I learned, and this is, you know, attributed to my great friend slash the founder of that company, you know, teaching me these things just in natural learnings where, hey, for this real estate company, how can we talk about local community events going on um, in the city where we have properties as opposed to just posting links to the listings we have for these houses? Um, like learning that very early on in my community management slash marketing career was probably one of the most important things. And it's how I got through working for those quote unquote boring clients was trying to find ways around only posting about or only communicating with our audience about the services and products we were selling 
and trying to relate to people with content outside of our direct business. Um, and yeah, it's it a huge lesson I learned and something that looking back on, I'm like, holy cow, I'm really happy that I experienced clients like that instead of really fun, interactive clients like I had you know, the years after. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's how I got through it was learning that lesson and trying to post content outside of the product that you're selling. Nice. And um, so would you say that uh, some of that experience you gained has been helpful uh, since you, you know, worked at BattleFi and uh, now you're working with SteelSeries? But, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention that I saw your, your post uh, last week uh, where you filled uh, you filled the ear cups of a headset with cereal and milk and ate out of them. And I thought that was genius, man. I thought that was, that was really something. <laughs> I shared it with my office, and they all had a little, they all had a bit of a cringe laugh at it, and at, but they love it, they appreciate it because we're a we're, we're an advertising communications agency, so we understand this this uh, right perfectly. Right. Wow, what a message, dude! Yeah, and and to to be even more descriptive uh, for anyone listening, uh, the company I work for right now, Steel Series, uh, we sell we. Produce and sell and, and create headsets, keyboards, mice, uh, gaming accessories for PC, console, and mobile gamers. Um, and a, a video I put out, the one that Spencer's referring to, um, I had had this idea for honestly like weeks, and I finally decided to pull the trigger. I'm sure you can imagine it wasn't a super easy thing for me to just commit to, but I finally did. Um, where I, I had an old headset of ours, the headset didn't even work and it was actually used headsets. So pretty disgusting if you think about it. But I decided to yeah, eat cereal out of the ear cups and then put the headset back on my head with cereal and milk in it. Um, yeah, not something I'm, actually I am pretty proud of it, but I was gonna say not something I'm super proud of, but actually yeah, I am proud of it. And um, it, it's content like that, that uh, in my opinion, sets brands apart from their competitors and apart from other brands. And again, going back to the question you just asked, that's a direct lesson that I learned from every company that I've worked for in the past. And uh, what I tell people is if a brand can produce content that isn't about their product or service and get people engaged, they're doing a good job. Um, I mean, you look at some of the most notable like commercials that you remember, um, or things that affect you in a really emotional way, as far as a, a brand or, or a message that comes out, a lot of times they have very little product itself. Um, they have to do with an emotion that's trying to be evoked from that company or, or you know, for you. So that's what I keep in mind every single day. Uh, you know, now being the, the global social media manager of a steel series. And that's what I try to communicate throughout our organization too, is, Hey, when it comes to content specifically, yes, we have the best products in the world. Of course, I'm going to sound biased, but we have the best products in the world. We have um, the best creative team in the world, but what are we doing uh, for our community and for like the general gaming community and all of these little micro niche communities within the gaming and esports space? What are we doing besides just, telling people to buy our products? Um, how are we giving them value outside of um, our headsets? 
right? So are we making them laugh? Are we making them cry? Are we getting them engaged? Are we forcing them to answer questions about themselves? Um, you know, deep and wide, how are we, how are we affecting them? Um, so yeah, that, that'd be at least one of the lessons that I've learned is, again, what type of content can your brand produce that can actually affect people? Yes, so true, honest and true. Um, your background in psychology, it sounds like, sounds like that there might be some connection as to why you're, you know, such a, uh, a thoughtful social media manager. Um, would you connect the two? Would you say that, you know, having that background in psychology helps you um, in your work? Uh, yes and no. I think the cop out easy answer is to say, and this is what I normally tell people is like, oh, psychology is marketing and marketing is psychology because you know, with marketing, at least is how I define it is you're trying to get people to feel a certain way about something. Um, psychology is often trying to explore and find out or, um, you know, influence someone to feel a certain way. Um, or find out why someone feels a certain way, et cetera. Um, so you can make the direct attribution between marketing and psychology, but I honestly believe I had the majority of the characteristics that I have now before I ever considered quote unquote studying psychology, um, characteristics like, um, like in all honesty, like my charisma or, or outgoing sense of, of trying to be social and, and extroverted, even though I might be more on the introverted side, but um, being an empathetic person, um, having sympathy for people going through situations, always trying my best to solve problems um, and help people. Uh, I think I had a lot of the qualities that I have now before I studied psychology. Psychology was more of something that wrapped everything into a nice package for me that I could then, you know, further articulate or, or make connections between the two. Um, but I think a lot of what I, what I do now on like a daily basis and the, like you said, maybe thoughtfulness that goes into a lot of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I think I've always had, had that. Um, but yeah. That's totally fair. You talked a little bit about empathy and sympathy and, you know, your ability to problem solve. Mm -hmm. I think I think um, your work and what I know from you and our, our limited um, interactions, I'd say like you are empathetic and you are um, you you don't come off as a an introverted person, but I, I can relate to the the thought um, because I just I think of the do you remember when we met in Los Angeles and then it was like. Mm -hmm. I think the the next day or something, we had had a previous conversation about someone you really looked up to who happened to be in Los Angeles, and um, I, I think it was a was he a photographer or a filmmaker that you really were a fan of? Yeah, yeah, videographer slash photographer. Yeah. And my my thought was that you know like this is someone that you don't even uh, you don't you don't know in person, but you're you know willing to reach out to via social media and try to engage with in real life and it, it worked out <laughs> right like you, yeah you, you you reached out i mean we connected like just the day before and i was like hey yeah how can i help you make this connection and then you made right. it happen and and this is it's wild but uh can you tell yeah, me yeah we yeah, yeah yeah we made it happen man yeah i mean glad glad to help where i could uh do you want to talk a little bit about that experience so i guess listeners could kind of understand 
Yeah, um, I'd say you and I have probably one of the more unique relationships that, that I have in my life as far as why we're friends and how uh, quickly we kind of picked up what each other put down. Um, so again, this was 2017 E3, this huge, uh, I'm assuming you were listening to this, you know what E3 is, but if not, this huge game conference where a lot of announcements are made from the industry and a lot of brands and companies are there with the presence. They either have big booths or um, they're doing advertising there, etc. But it's at a huge convention center in LA. And, uh, Spencer and I met and at the same time, I, I, I don't think this was, this was definitely not my first time in LA. I think I had been to something before, at least not my first time in California. Um, but at the same time I was there, I was really into, in the, in the months prior, uh, this specific guy's content. Uh, his name's Rory Kramer. And you know, at, now he's even more famous and relevant than he was uh, in 2017. But at the time, um, he was most known for uh, working with artists like Chains, the Chainsmokers, Justin Bieber, uh, the late Avicii, um, Blau, the DJ, and uh, he travels around with these artists and creates like epic tour videos, concert videos, etc. And I had seen from uh, actually, I, I think I just cold DM'd him on Instagram, hoping that he was going to be in LA and hoping that he might respond to my DM. And I. Uh, of course, when you hear that, you're like, oh, God, this guy probably DMs hundreds of people all the time. But it it definitely isn't the case, uh, especially not, you know, personally. But I DMed him uh, just with a long shot of hoping that he'd be somewhere in L.A. And, of course, L.A. is huge when you're just generalizing it to what, what I was at the time. Uh, I DMed him on Instagram. He somehow responded uh, and said, hey, I'll be in Venice Beach tomorrow. Um, let's meet up. And it was very, very casual. It was not like specifics like, hey, let's hang out and get a coffee. It was like, I'll be in Venice Beach tomorrow. Let's meet up. Um, hardly any, I don't, I can't remember when he actually gave me a specific time or anything, but I was thinking to myself, uh, like, damn, how am I going to get to Venice Beach from where I am now? It was what an hour drive. Something I can't remember what the what or two an hour and a half drive, two hour drive. I can't remember how how long it actually took, but uh, I knew that I would be able to take time off of the convention that we were at on the next day and actually do this. So I was excited that I even had the opportunity. Um, and I remember getting the DM. I think I got the DM when you and I were walking one of the main halls, if you can remember that moment. Um, I, I swear that was the case, that I got the DM back from him, like confirming that that we could meet up while you and I were walking in like just this sea of people. And I remember just being like completely dumbstruck with like, what is going on? This guy actually responded. Um, and I remember like freaking out. And I, I don't remember how I asked you, but I ended up, I guess, yeah, asking you or telling you, and you were just like, yeah, I can drive you. I have a car. 
And I was just saying to myself, like, no way. Because God knows I didn't want to, you know, of course, I didn't want to pay for an Uber, but that would have been what I what I would have done had you not been there. Um, and you graciously offered to drive me to Venice Beach after we had met within 24 hours um, to go meet a guy I had never met. Uh, and you drove me. Uh, we talked about anything and everything on that car ride. You dropped me off in Venice Beach. Uh, I forgot my phone charger in your car. And I ended up going to meet uh, Rory Kramer um, as he was with another like, group of people walking down the boardwalk. I guess that's how you describe it in Venice Beach. Um, yeah, Rory and I had a, like, a short little conversation. I got a couple pictures with him. Uh, one of the cooler things I'd ever done when you consider like, the situation as a whole between meeting you the day before and then meeting him the day after and just how it all worked out. Um, yeah, and then you and I stayed in touch ever since. Um, yeah, that's the, the, the very yeah. Bullet, bullet yeah. Very uh, very interesting chain of events that just kind of just kind of happened, and then and then kind of a, uh, uh, I guess paying it forward a little bit. Uh, you were you had talked about, or you were at an event, I think. Was it like a couple couple months ago? You were at an event that one of my buddies was at. I think it was maybe QuakeCon or uh, yes. Um, and I was like, uh, I saw that you posted about you know having some headsets to give away. And uh, one of my one of my <laughs> oldest gaming buddies is the guy that I met at the very first LAN I went to in in Michigan in Battle Creek, Michigan, or, um, at Ferris State University. And that was back when I had my my Dell computer with like onboard video. Like it was just absolutely <laughs> potato. I could only play Counter Strike on the orange texture maps. I couldn't even play Dust Two because it would just lag. Out oh man! Uh, but anyways, this guy, uh, Mr. Cola, uh, longtime friend, he was there, and I knew that if you could find him, he would he would be very interested in some new headphones. The dude is one of the most humble uh, but fun-loving guys I know, and just a uh, gamer, diehard gamer. So you guys got to connect a little bit there. He he expressed. Uh, his extreme appreciation uh, once after meeting you, uh, to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about, again, that pay-forward chain of events, whatever you want to call it, from you and I randomly meeting two years before it happened, me being at an event, you seeing that I'm at an event, knowing that you have a friend there, and then me ending up giving that friend a headset. Like, what? It doesn't make any sense, but I guess it I mean, it does in, yeah. in, the, in the beautiful in like the overall scheme of it. It, it is a nice is a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like you can't put a you can't put a price tag on that. The serendipitous nature of, of relationships that happen organically like that. Um, and again, it's like they're a dime a dozen, and I've, I've found a few of them in this community and you know in my life in the past and there, there are things I'm like more than thankful for that I somehow get interact with people like you and uh, have things like that happen on a almost somewhat I wouldn't say normal basis, but just in general if they do happen, I feel so fortunate. Yeah. Kind of uh jumping a little bit back towards uh some of the skills uh we you talked a little bit about you know your work and what it entails. Um can you tell me a little bit about the like maybe a couple of the top skills that you would recommend for people who are looking to 
uh, you know, work in social media? What's important for you? Yeah, good question. If you're working in social specifically, not necessarily community management, and then the crossover is unreal. Um, social specifically, I would tell anyone to go learn about paid advertising, in all honesty, because I think that's the actual best, quickest way to get a job in social media is learning about like paid ads and digital ads. Um, otherwise, if you're a more general social media marketer, it's it gets a little bit harder to justify uh, a company spending money on you but if you're working specifically on digital ads paid advertising um, paid media on social specifically you can give a direct justification for what you're going to provide to a company um, and that's even now in a 2020 world where social media rules so many aspects of our life and the business, um, companies still have a hard time justifying paying someone to do their social media. Um, but if you're the person who's doing social media ads and actually doing, you know, if you're the buyer for media and digital advertising, it becomes a lot easier for them to say, oh, this person's not only managing content for our social media, they're also doing digital advertising and getting us. ROI, this return ad spend, whatever it is. Um, so a, a big one would be learn digital ads. But yeah, um, digital ads. Honestly, um, I don't know. I don't know where I cut off. But, um, no, I, I we caught most of it. I think it just was near the end there. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, that, that's that'd be the like the. I don't think I've ever said that before. But like, learn digital ads and give yourself the most clear defined way to be of value to a company, which is bringing money in for them. And if you know ads and you know how to you know, like buy ads on, on Facebook and, and post ads and make targeted ads towards people, um, you'll know, or a company will be able to justify hiring you. Is that something that you utilize in your day to day? Uh, no, actually, uh, steel series, we, work with an agency for all of our paid advertising. Mm. Um, I do some boosted posts uh, here and there on content that I think is going like doing well that I want more people to see, but otherwise like we're at the size and I didn't know this coming in the steel series. I was prepared at least to do small scale paid advertising. And, and I figured we were already doing paid ads. Um, like we pay an agency you know, X amount of money every month to be running ads for us across Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, but with all the other companies I worked with in the past, I was doing paid ads to some extent. It's just, you know, when you're when you're at the, the size where you can hire an agency, you want to, otherwise you'll be doing it full time and not able to focus on the things that I focus on now, like um, organic content, general content strategy, um, voice, brand, a little bit more of the like fluffy things that aren't as measurable up front. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, uh, for some of our listeners, can you tell, tell me maybe a little bit about like what, what does a day and, and your work, like a standard work day look like for you as a social media manager? Sure. Um, I'd say a lot of my day is based around, um, content creation slash 
replying to people about general content strategy. Um, I'm in a position right now where I work with uh, and, and want to be working more with even this year, more so than I have in the past eight months since I've started at SteelSeries, uh, a position where I'm working with all of our uh, marketing managers across different regions on their social pages. So for example, we have the SteelSeries global pages, which are just the plain SteelSeries handle, like at SteelSeries Twitter, at SteelSeries Facebook um, and Instagram, et cetera. And then we have uh, like close to 25 or 30 more Facebook pages that are region or country specific. Steel Series France, Steel Steel Series Spain, Steel Series uh, Argentina, Philippines, Russia, etc. Um, same thing with Instagram and Twitter. And I'm working with the managers and agencies who are running uh, each of those pages as well. So having weekly-ish calls with them on campaign and content strategy and general posts or like a post schedule for them. Um, day to day i'm doing a lot of community management currently um we're actually looking for a community manager plug but a lot of a lot of my day i'll be spent will be spent replying to people across different social channels um uploading and posting content scheduling content to go out replying to people different people across our org internally on what socials in social media departments involvement is for certain campaigns or partnerships that we have um like when we work with uh, FaZe, who's one of our biggest partners, uh, FaZe Clan, the esports organization, um, when we're you know, launching a product with them or when we're launching a product with G Fuel, the energy drink, um, social media has a part to play in that. So bringing me in in the early ideation of, okay, we're doing this with this company or this partner, What's the actual strategy as far as what content's gonna be going out? When is it gonna be going out? Who are we targeting it towards? Uh, so I'm working with people across the company on different initiatives that are happening because everything goes through social at some point that happens at the company. Um, I, I'll put everything in quotes or put an asterisk next to it because um, it's not like I have a direct impact on um, like our sales team, for example, who's working with our different retailers, like that's a part of the company I don't touch or the finance team necessarily, but anything on the marketing side or partnership side, um, or, you know, product side, I'm a part of to some extent. So, um, people are looping me in at the appropriate times of, Hey, we have X product coming out in six months, 12 months. What's the earliest we can start planning social and content around it and messaging. Um, and then I work with my direct team on the global marketing team, um, our PR guy, our email, and our our brand manager uh, Megan, who's a superstar, um, on you know, how are we talking about this product? How are we presenting it to the community? Uh, again, what content is going out? When? Why? And where? Um, yeah, that, that's a very um, long answer to, to the question. But my day is kind of all over the place, and like the general everyday things, catching up on emails, replying to people internally, doing general community management stuff across different social media channels. And when I say community management stuff, a lot of that is simply responding to people um, and posting content. Um, and then some of the bigger picture stuff like strategizing about 
uh, channels and content for new products or new partnerships, launches, etc. Fair. That's a that's a pretty good explanation, I'd say. That gives you uh, the day to day as well as like some of your overarching uh, responsibilities and you know accountabilities. Right. I, I think actually, well, I know uh, many people they hear social media manager and there's a connotation to it, not necessarily a negative connotation, but a connotation that I, I mean, I get, I get tweets on a weekly basis, not necessarily every day, but like a weekly uh, steel series. Someone will tweet something in regards to like, Oh, the steel series, social media intern, um, or, or the LinkedIn <laughs> intern as if yeah. um, all companies, social media, is handled by an intern which is just like a, a common theme always has been because brand that was such a stereotype and a, a true thing that brands did they would hand off their social media and their essentially entire the keys to the brand on digital platforms to some usually young intern who quote unquote knew social media or knows social media um it's not the case anymore uh, a lot of these people that are social media professionals have been in the space for you know, 10 plus years, they've been doing social media uh, longer than me. Uh, and, you know, they're legitimate professionals, not just interns who know how to post and upload on Instagram. Um, so a lot of people don't necessarily know what goes into the job, which is completely fair. It's not like they should, but uh, I think people should understand that uh, social media touches every part of the business to some extent. Uh, and I, I just don't think that's something a lot of people have clear in their head. Um, a lot of people just see the content that goes out on social and they think that's what's being focused on 100% of the time. And I mean, it's, it's the same thing with any um, any entertainment profession or, or profession where people are putting out content of some sort or uh, like an easy way I can not compare it, but uh, like look at a professional athlete, you see all the what happens to them in game, but you don't necessarily see the off season or what they're doing behind the scenes to prepare for that game. Um, it's the same thing for any like position, uh, especially in marketing. Like there's a ton of work that goes on behind the scenes that you don't know before that finished product gets shown. Um, and it's, it's more true than ever for social media managers as well. Hmm. What's your, what's your favorite part of your job? Uh, probably the, I mean, to be as blunt as possible, uh, selfish, I'll, I'll go first with the, like my selfish favorite part of my job is like when I put out a, uh, a really great post that does well and uh, gets a lot of immediately good feedback from my coworkers in the community. Um, that's like selfishly my favorite part because it just like, that's just a dopamine endorphin, high, endorphin high. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in, in all honesty, and I think, I don't know if many people would admit that, but like it is, it just feels so selfishly rewarding that, Oh, something I put out, a lot of people have a great reception to it, even though it's from a company handle, like, you know, um, and I, again, it, it just feels so rewarding to be able to like bring that value to a company and then get rewarded for it personally by like knowing like, hey, I was at least 99% responsible for that um, along with, you know, influences from other people in the company or things that I've learned, et cetera. And then I would say the more 
professional answer as far as favorite part of my job. Um, like being, and this is especially true working with, with startups and SteelSeries is not a startup for anyone listening, PS. Um, but we are smaller size-wise as far as like number of people at our company than the majority of our competitors. But seeing a brand grow and being a driving force and bringing different communities value as a brand, I think is, is really huge. And one of the most rewarding parts and favorite parts of mine is when I got to be a direct or indirect factor in improving someone's life. Um, and it's kind of that like, you know, searching for meaning type, type question or type conundrum that we get put in. And a lot of people, like I've had, I've had conversations with people and thoughts about this in gaming for a while, like, um, is working in gaming, like actually rewarding or is it just a selfish, like self-fulfilling thing that you do? Like, how are you actually helping people if you're in the gaming industry? Um, cause on the outside and maybe on the surface to a lot of people, oh, it's just games, it's video games. Like you're not improving anyone's life. You're not doing anything. You're just, even with a peripheral company like us, you're just like giving people pieces of plastic to, to play on and waste their time. Um, so, you know, as a brand and as a company, we're always, you know, we look for ways to justify our work. And I think we do that as, as human beings too, of like, hey, we're not just making keyboards and mice for people. We're giving people the tools and great tools at that, um, like great reliable tools to be able to do what exactly what they want to do with their free time that brings them happiness, um, that brings them competitive joy. Um, and that might be the best part of their day is when they sit down at their desk or, or put on their headset um, and play a game. You know, that might be the, the best thing they experience that day, week, month. And that's where I find value out of it. Um, yeah so uh, uh, again a puked out version of, of all of those things no that's good that's good that's really good um what's something that you've learned in your role in like the last year or so maybe not even in your role maybe just in life what is just a uh, something that you've learned yeah i think specific to this role this is the first role i've had where um, I'm put in more of a position to work with different people across team internally. In the majority of my past positions, if not all of them, uh, I was the only person like working on like marketing for the brand or for a brand at a time. With SteelSeries being a larger company bringing in more revenue in the past, um, I'm working cross team more often and constantly having to, I wouldn't say one-up myself, but like always be on top of my game as far as my interactions internally with people, as opposed to in the past where um, I could do things 100% on my own and then just come to the table when ready with a finished product. Uh, so I'm learning a lot more about like internal teamwork, uh, culture within a company. Uh, as I, I briefly mentioned earlier, I worked remotely for the past three years before this position, hmm. uh, and then a year remotely with the position before my last position. So like four to five years before uh, this current position, I was working remotely. So um, being in an office around my coworkers, um, which, which is where I thrive in my opinion, um, like that alone has taught me so much in being in this company, like 
understanding the like the interminglings and inner work of a company and how to like as a social manager, community manager, someone who cares a lot about our brand and is the general like voice of, of a company on social, like how to get the most value out of my daily interactions with people to be a better like to be a better worker and human being myself. Like that's something I'm constantly learning and have done some more at this position in the last eight months than probably the last three years before it. Nice. Is there somebody in uh, in esports or gaming that you look up to? Uh, I don't know if there's somebody. Uh, I'm more so, I mean, it's hard for me to ever put people on on pedestals or anything like that. Um, and, and that's how I am kind of framing the question you asked me, though I know that's not necessarily what you meant. But uh, I'd say I more look to brands that I really enjoy in the space and what they're doing. And I try to learn from them. And I look at different brands and pull pieces from what they're doing. Um, and those are the things that I look up to. And I know there are human beings behind that, but it's, you know, it's like a team of people or, or whatever it is. So I, I try to stay away from, in all honesty, like having, uh, role, I don't know, it's like not having role models is the appropriate thing to say, but, uh, like, especially in the marketing space, I think, uh, a lot of what I, there's so many more people involved and it's more than just right. like, one person's carrying the load on their back. Right, exactly. And and also like taking into account, especially on social social media channels, what we see and um, the person we get on social is not often who that person actually is. Um, it's usually the best version of them or people to think. Um, so a lot of these people that maybe I could have answered that question with, um, I don't actually know them or I don't. I don't necessarily know who they are as as people um, outside of their job, so it's hard for me to say I necessarily look up to them. But I look up to a lot of different people who work. Um, I mean, a specific one, a guy or a brand that I I drew a lot of inspiration from, uh, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, uh, Discord, for example, which we're talking through right now. Um, I think his name is Zach Citrin. Um, if not, I can't remember his last name, but his first name is definitely Zach, and I think his last name is Citrin. He just quit Discord a few months ago, but he was the guy who came up with the name Discord, was their essentially brand manager, copywriter, content manager, leading up to like Discord's existence all the way through uh, a couple months ago. And he's the guy who came out with all their product videos. He came up with a voice for Discord. Um, was posting all their social content, the majority of it. And I thought that guy is slash was uh, a genius. And I think Discord was the perfect platform for him to like flex all of his creative muscles. Um, and a lot of brands tried to emulate what Discord did. And I'll say still slash does, but not to the extent they did when he was there. Um, as far as brand voice, their content, their consistency and like visuals, etc. So like, I, I look up to a lot of brands that do cool things in the space, and I do understand the people are behind. 
again, I, I feel like I'm indirectly answering a lot of your questions, but a lot of it is just not black and white in my mind. That's very fair. And, and it just provides a, a whole nother perspective. So some people, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, how people don't fully understand social. And this, I think, is another part of that aspect. It's the, the ability to kind of step back a little bit and have a different perspective. And I, I think it's right. very valuable. I mean, yeah, I mean, like what, like what brands in the space right now do you, do you look at like, oh, they're, you know, like they're killing it on social. And when I say in the space, that could be an esports team, a personality, an influencer. That could be a, the first one that comes to mind. Brand. Is, yeah, the first one that comes to mind is uh, G two and Carlos specifically, the and the stuff that he does, uh, simply for the the laugh factor. He he is willing to put his own his own following, his own. He's willing to like allow people to laugh at him in order to help his brand, to help his team's image, to help you know the overall brand to move it forward. But also to provide uh, some lighthearted, uh, you know, poking fun at himself. I I love that. Um, and I think uh, people who uh, kind of like walk that walk beyond just, uh, you know, hey, let let's let's uh, my personal Twitter is going to be this, and my brand Twitter is going to be this. Like he kind of has merged it all. It's all the same. Like if you're talk looking at his Twitter, it is G two. Like it is everything. It's about his work life beyond like just driving this beast that is G2. So I, I've kind of, I've been a big fan of his. Um, for a while, it started, I guess, as, as just when I started watching League, but then when he started with, uh, he had his web, old website, like ocelotworld.com, and then I kind of followed his journey from that to uh, starting G2 and into what it is today, which is a... Uh, what are your, with that being said, and I'm pretty fresh to his, his content as well. I know of him, but following to say the least. Like, do you not think that's interesting that there are people in this space, and I have people too, that we follow their journey on social media for literally years at a time them? And, the, and I'm not saying they're, they're necessarily celebrities or even huge, huge influencers, but it's like, like we are so interested in these, these people's lives in the space. I think that tells um, that it's very it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's it's super interesting. I think that that is a that is an innate human um, response in some ways. Like we not, I think that we love stories. We love storylines. We love seeing the evolution of people, how people develop, how people change, um, how people grow as individuals, as professionals. Um, that comes. That's like the good and the bad. So like if something good happens, we love to cheer them on, right, uh, from the sidelines. But we also, if something bad happens, we're willing to call them out and we're willing to say, hey, look, you messed up. But at the same time, we also like hope that they grow from it. We want to see that. We want to see this change. But from on a, on a, like, a, like a TLDR, like it's, we just love the stories. We love, I think storytelling is just like, it's in our genes, man. Like way back to caveman days, like storytelling, like th that was the, that was it, right? Cave paintings on a wall, someone telling a story around a campfire. I mean, I love that stuff. Yeah, and it's plus one to all of that. And I think when an individual is able to consistently and continuously share their story of like their professional and personal life, especially in the gaming industry, of course, that's the one that we're like most in it as individuals right now, like when they're able to do that consistently on you know, through their own social channels, 
it makes it that much easier for them to latch on to and sympathize slash empathize with what they're going through or um, respect what they're doing, et cetera. So like that, and I think that storytelling nature is like, man, like people who can tell stories through social is so powerful um, and, and understand on a channel, channel by channel basis, like the most appropriate way to communicate content out um, just kind of like, even as I'm, as I'm saying this, it kind of loops it back into like qualities I look for in great, like social community brand managers. Like if you can tell a story and your story through social in an appropriate way. And when I say appropriate, I just mean a way that positively communicates your message and, and affects people in a, in a cool way. Um, like you've got something that the majority of people in the world don't have. Um, it, it's really cool and really special. I think it's like a direct testament to like why we want to follow these brands and why we want to be like they tell their story really well, not just put out cool content. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, the importance of storytelling. Wow, I could I could I feel like we could have a whole another podcast episode on just like get like a roundtable on storytelling. Uh, oh, absolutely. A couple other professionals. Maybe we'll do that sometime. That that actually sounds pretty interesting. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's. You take a brand like SteelSeries, um, been around the space since 2001, and I, I didn't know the majority of this until I started working with the company. Been with the in the esports industry since 2001. The first company to come out with a gaming-specific headset that had a mic on it, not uh, not an office headset with with a mic, but a gaming-specific headset with a microphone on it. SteelSeries is the first company to do it. Um, and you look at some of the other like historic products that we've come out through through the years that we were the first to do. We were the first, I think the first peripherals company to, the, to sponsor an esports team, like, like something like that, don't quote me on that. But um, we have this like really, really, really rich history in the esports space. And now, and you know, it's been a constant effort in the past years, but we're trying to continue to push that story and not necessarily push, but trying to continue to expose that story and get people to realize and share the, the value that we've given for all of these years, close to 20 years in this space to give people a better idea of who we are as a brand. And it's really challenging because on one side of it, and, and I'm, I'm torn personally about it, and I'm the one having to do some of the work behind it of like, why should people care about what we did in the last 20 years they should like they're just going to care about what the product is at hand right like that's a very cynical maybe blunt or kind of more binary way to look at it um is like, who cares about our esports history or who cares about the story we had to tell they're just looking for a product they can afford and that's you know quality or looks cool whatever the factors they're looking for um and then there's the other side of like hey how can we create content around our brand um, that isn't necessarily about our products, but that we uh, distribute to people in an appropriate, timely way that the next time they do want to buy something, we're top of mind for them because we told our story so well. Um, and we gave them something, uh, I can't say altruistically because that'd be a lie, but like we gave them something that affected them in a positive way so that they had a positive relationship with our brand, you know. 
in, for in the future when someone asks them about what headset they should buy or when they need their next keyboard, et cetera. Um, so yeah, there's two, there's two ways to look at it, kind of a more optimistic, fluffy brand way and then a more uh, sales, direct, transactional way. Um, and I know there, there's definitely a balance, but I like to go more all in on um, the brand side of it. But, but again, it all comes back to like, can you tell your story well, or are you just wasting time too? You know, because I, I think there's a definite like distinction between the two. Definitely, definitely. Um, kind of pivoting a, a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, about experience, how like young people can maybe get, not even necessarily young people, just people who would like to, to work in esports or working in the game industry. Um, they're, you know, they they probably are game fans to some extent. They, they Maybe they're a huge esports fan. They're like, wow, I went to this event. I loved it. Uh, it happened to me. I was like, oh, I really want to work in esports. How do I get involved? Um, mm. How how would you recommend people getting get involved? Where do people start? Start by understanding that almost no matter what you do or care about, there's probably a position for you in the gaming or esports field. And I say that with a sense of you take a look at a major esports organization or brand or gaming brand, there are people who handle finance in that company. There are people who handle marketing in that company, community, branding, social, creative, um, uh, technology, product, engineering, development, software. Uh, almost anything that you're interested in, if you also want to be doing it in the gaming space, you probably can. Um, it's about finding a company that is, as far as starting out, it's about finding a company that needs what your skills are and needs the value that you're able to provide um, and you being okay with whatever they're paying you or in some cases not paying you. But I'm never, I'm, I hate suggesting people work for free in, in, in any circumstances. But um, that'd be my first thing is, is understanding you don't need to fit the what you think a job is in the esports or gaming industry is. I mean, of course, there's some people who are going to do whatever it takes or, you know, oh, it doesn't matter what job I'm doing. I just enjoy this. But you can have a passion or be really skilled at something and it likely will translate into um, some job that you can get in the esports. Now, the literal tactical things I would suggest, um, if you're trying to find your first job in the space, one, Go to sites like AngelList, like I mentioned earlier, angel.co. Um, Hitmarkerjobs.com is an esports jobs thing or an esports jobs site. Or like check out Indeed, a very common, huge one. Zillow, or not Zillow, but uh, Monster. Uh, all these regular job sites and search up esports jobs, et cetera. Um, like that's the first step is, is understanding, like just go look like you would for other industry job it's the same thing for esports and gaming it's not a complicated crazy hidden thing um go find companies you want to work for see if they have any positions open for skills that you think you have or experience that you have uh have a, a kick-ass resume and cover letter like cover letters are so to me like really important like i've, I've hired people before and 
they've had amazing resumes, but either boring cover letters or no cover letters. And I didn't give them a, a ounce of my time after not seeing they didn't have one. Even if it didn't, even if the job application doesn't require one, like mm. have some extra content around your application for the job. Uh, if you remember part of my story earlier uh, with how I got my job at Battlefy, it was through the Angel. I'm just going to look up right now just to make sure I'm not. Um, no, that is correct. It was Angel.co um, and it's AngelList. Right. Yeah. Right. Angel.co and now, yeah, Angel.co. Um, I found this this the founder of the of Battlefy's information through there. I found him on LinkedIn, sent him a message. Um, again, that's a very small company, or it was at the time. Um, but I did more than just submit my resume. And this is where I think people get, get caught up. And this is a general advice for any job is, hey, you want that job so bad, or you're that, maybe it's even out of desperation to find a job. You're not acting like it if you're only submitting a resume. If you're only submitting a templated cover letter that you're just uh, copy pasting from job to job. Like you're not acting like you want the job if that's what you're doing. Um, I'd say go above and beyond, um, reach out to, and I know some people might find this inappropriate or cringy, but like reach out to different people at that company if you can and try to set up a, a quick call, a quick coffee if they're in your area. Um, anything to like, get your foot in the door, you should be trying to do. Um, and and a, another general, I know I'm, I, I hop around with a lot of my thoughts here, but advice that I also give everyone, if you can work for a startup in the gaming space or in, in general, you should. Um, I learned more about, mar like, I learned more about what I feel like marketing and social media and community management should be working for startups in the, I think, six out of seven years of my experience before um, the Steel Series right now, or seven out of eight, whatever it was, that I could have ever gotten with working for a larger corporation or business. Um, try to work for a startup if you can, in all honesty. Like, doesn't matter what you get paid. Um, if the job absolutely sucks, like grind it out for six to 12 months. But if you can get startup experience and understand like what it's like to work for a startup, you will, in my opinion, like thrive in a more traditional role a more and more, or in a more traditional company with a similar role. Um, I think it's unreal the type of work ethic you learn if you're working for a startup that's like live or, live or die by the next investment you're going to get based on mm -hmm. the work you're putting in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah, those would be my big things. Like look for startups and they, they're usually more willing to hire people with less experience than a traditional company or, or larger organization. Um, yeah, and then, and then utilize those sites I said before and try to do more than just send in an average resume. Those are like three pretty decent piece of advice I'd say and things that I would have wanted to know say that you uh, you you know you land yourself an interview you, you did all that stuff you followed up with the cover letter they seem to like it uh, you get yourself an interview uh, what kind of interview prep do you recommend uh, I'd say the the things I'm about to give are more things that I would recommend to people in general not necessarily things I did myself um, <laughs> But if you can come to that interview knowing more about the position than the person's interviewing you for, you put yourself in a good spot. And what I mean is a lot of times, if not all the time, the person interviewing you, 
uh, they most in most cases like they didn't have the position for, especially if it's with a larger company and it's like a um, a manager of a position or if it's an initial interview, like it's just someone seeing if you check the boxes and aren't a crazy person and have the basic requirements, like studying the job application and then having bits of knowledge. Um, of your own and, and input to have based off of what that job application said the requirements for this job are and what you'll be doing. If you can have a few words of your own about each part of that job application, you'll go a long way because the majority of the questions you'll get in the interview will be in some way, shape or form based off of um, what was in the job application already. You'll get your average question. You'll get your like your normal questions, and they might throw a few weird ones in there. But if you're able to to bring back uh, in your answers parts of that job description, and then further expand on them in your own uh, creative way or insightful way, that goes uh, that goes a long way. Um, also, if you have the ability to find out who the interviewer is and do a little research on them, and then thoughtfully bring up um, parts of that person's career or path in your interview, I think that also goes a long way. And it shows that you did, again, you went above and beyond just showing up for the interview and helping your own general knowledge would get you past it. Showing that you did a little bit of research and extra work will go a long way. Um, for example, you know, say you get an email from the hiring manager um, after your resume gets accepted or you know, they say, hey, we're, we liked your resume, we wanna do an interview with you. You'll be interviewing with our hiring manager. Um, uh, next week, here's their email. Okay, cool. You you find out their name from that email. You go look for them on LinkedIn or see if they've you know, they have any content or social media out there. You go check out like you do a little creeping on that person um, for lack of a better term, and you try to find out a little bit more about them before you get in that interview. Um, so yeah, those those are a few things. Hmm. And uh, part of that process, one of my favorite parts of uh, of the interview process, I'd say, is when they ask if you have any questions. I always like to come prepared with <laughs> two or three of my own, and at least yes. at least one or two of those are ones that they actually have to really consider, and maybe they've never been asked. And I think that that's super important because if you put them on on your to on their toes uh, during the interview, then they start considering you like, oh, this person is going beyond just hey, I'm here to answer your questions. I'm genuinely interested in the company I'm about to work for, and I really want to know like culture-wise, what is it like, or um, you know, what kind of challenges do you see in this role, like stuff like that, stuff that makes, you're already ready to do the work, you, you know that you're capable of doing the work, and now they realize, oh, he, he really is a threat, you know, he, he wants it. Yeah, such a good point. Um, yeah, there, there are so many little tactics and almost, again, like, psycho, like psychological things you can do throughout an interview to, to get that person to realize or hopefully realize that you're going above and beyond, and I think what you said is spot on of there's usually that okay do you have any general questions or comments at the end uh type you know scenario and a lot of times like i've i've said this in interviews and i've also been on the receiving end of people just saying uh nope i think we covered everything it's like you know that's that's just a lost opportunity right there um so yeah i completely agree mm, yeah can you tell me, uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, how like you definitely recommend people find a startup position. I can attest to that. I learned a lot working for a startup right. and I uh, was put in a position that, you know, your back was against the wall some of the time and uh, you really have to grind things out and you do it all together and it, it's kind of, it's fun, it's stressful, you learn a lot, like 
can be taxing. Is there something, um, can you tell me about maybe like a personal sacrifice uh, that maybe helped make your career, whether it was like your free time or maybe it was a relationship or maybe it was something else, I don't know, That's if that's something you're comfortable answering. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I unnecessarily work more than I need to outside of general nine to five hours in this current role that I'm in. And that is a habit that was directly formed from working at Battlefy, for better or worse. Uh, specifically with Battlefy, again, people, it's a, it's a tournament website where people are playing in esports tournaments. Um, they're signing up on the website. Uh, going through the bracket specifically on the website, like that's where the bracket gets updated is through the site. And a lot of times our tournaments happen late at night or on the weekends. And that's outside of the general nine to five workout. So it'd be, okay, average weeknight, you know, a Tuesday, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. on, I'm up managing like support related things or handling questions that come in through social media or emails or Slack messages from people about something going on in a tournament. Same thing on weekends when the majority of our activities were happening, especially our brand engagements. Um, I was working on weekends. So that put, uh, to be frank, some stress on relationships or friendships that I had. And I don't know, I don't know if stress is the right word. It probably is for them, um, the people in my life that it was happening around. But um, in a weird way, like I really enjoyed doing that and I still do. Um, of like doing things outside of like again the nine to five type hours um so yeah i'd say that's one like and and people kind of know that about me either on my phone or like any hour of the day or night is acceptable from my pov to be working but other people in my life's like man just uh like enjoy time here like enjoy time you know with who you're around or what you're doing and I, I'm telling myself like, hey, like I'm enjoying working right now. It's not like I am forcing myself, well, I'm and sometimes forcing myself to do it, but like I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel comfortable and like enjoy doing it. And if I didn't to some extent, like habitually want to be doing it. Um, and I, I can look from the outside in and say, it's not the healthiest or best thing, but it's uh, it's something that I still do. And, and like I said, I feel like it was only hundred percent like startup driven um yeah so that'd be one that, that hasn't necessarily positively impacted like relationships around me uh, would be that that's fair i can i can relate uh to some extent yeah it felt like uh, sure that's uh you know working in the startup you you just kind of go and go and go and and now with my uh my current work i'm i'm freelance but uh learning to balance like work life a little bit better um is something that i've i've been tasked with um, in my personal life, it's something I, it was kind of a goal. I moved to Europe in April and one of my goals was to kind of get a better work-life balance because I felt I was just, um, I didn't have it at all. And uh, while I, I love the work I'm doing, at the same time, I want to be able to check out uh, when it comes to focusing on my friends or family or relationships, whatever. I want to be able to sure. focus on them during that time and not necessarily have to worry about a you know, a message from the CEO at 5 a.m. about, <laughs> exactly. what, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, right. You know, that can be just stressful. And it was like in the startup life, like I literally had to had to say, hey, look, there's there's certain times you just cannot call me or message me. Like, I don't want to call between the hours of 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. You know, like, don't don't even mm -hmm. bother. 
uh, like we can, whatever is that important then can be handled in, you know, an hour or two later, you know, right. when, when we're in the right. office. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's been a challenge, but I, it's been a good one. And the people I'm around and my team, uh, I've been lucky that they are, they're all about it. Right. They, they're very, I guess my most might be a European thing, but, um, <laughs> uh, the work-life balance is it's, I'm learning, I'm learning it. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I think it is a European thing. <laughs> no, it's, you know. Uh, but, but I can't like, go ahead. Yeah. As you say, they're all, uh, they all have it way down pat more than I do at least. And a lot of people in our U S office as far as being able to completely shut off from work or being on vacation and not working, things like that. Like they, I think they do a million times better job than I do. And I'm trying to learn from them just like you said. <laughs> Yeah, like especially when it comes to like taking time off, like in around March or so after one of uh, the big events for one of our clients that I'm working with, uh, I wanted to take like, you know, like a week or two to where I'm just like checked out a little bit. Uh, right. But at the same time in my head, I'm like, oh, well, I can I can still log in, you know, I can still manage these accounts. I can still do this stuff. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, do I want to do that? Like, or is that just like right. what I've been trained to, to do? And uh not trained by this company, the company I work for by any means, but just as a matter of habit. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, completely understand. Yeah. All right. Kind of, uh, moving along, uh, I want to talk a little bit about networking. We talked a little bit about the beginning and that's kind of uh, full circle. Like we met networking essentially, uh, what kind of tips would you give to somebody who's looking to get involved in the industry, uh, maybe utilizing different resources, whether it's social media or otherwise, as far as networking to get involved in esports. Sure. Um, again, I'll start with utilize, utilize the things you do. Like it's not specific to gaming or esports, but your LinkedIn's uh, use social media to reach out to people. Um, if someone has their DMs open. DM them if they don't have their DMs open, publicly respond to a post that they did or, or, or at them, as you'd say on Twitter. Um, biggest thing is like not being afraid to not get a response. Like, and that's what stops the majority of people from reaching out and networking is, oh, what if it's awkward? Or what if I leave a bad impression? Or what if this person doesn't respond and you know, all the above? That, if you have that type of mindset, you're not going to get very far as far as networking goes specifically, where like, I, I can tell you the amount of times that at some of these events in, in California and LA area around esports that we'd be at a, and by we, I mean, Battlefy and my, my colleagues there that we would travel to events with, that we would go to a, an after party or an esports related event. Uh, and the amount of times that we would get turned down even getting in the door when we didn't have an in or if we did get in trying to have conversations with people and just getting told no uh that's probably the most important thing again that's a little bit more uh situational but like if you're afraid to get told no and you let yourself be afraid of getting told no and you are not going to be able to be a great networker, in all honesty. Um, otherwise, like general advice, if you do get the opportunity to talk with someone, uh, making sure that you give them something to latch their teeth into and remember you by. Um, 
if there's any way you can give them value within a short one minute to five minute conversation, give them that value. I don't know what that necessarily means depending on the context of the situation. That might mean, hey, you know, I'm a graphic designer. I can do, I can send you guys some alternate brand options for an upcoming campaign that you're doing, or, hey, I do copywriting. Like, I'd love to help out on your email or your blog. Um, if there's a skill you have, like, you can lead with that in these interactions for networking. Um, because, you know, why wouldn't you? Instead of just the boring, hi, I'm so-and-so. I really enjoy what you do. Uh, can we exchange information? I'd love to follow up with you. Like, straight up offer, offer them something up front. Um, give them a little bit more to think about when your name comes up again in, in a follow-up email. Uh, yeah, so you know, of course, try to stand out and, and do something unusual. Very good, very good. Succinctly, yeah. kind of, <laughs> kind of wrapping, wrapping everything up, uh, and just yeah, just a succinct matter. Um, how Impossi impossible? Impossible. For me. It's, it's no, that's fine. Yeah. Let's let's see if we can make it a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, even even yeah, just take your time on this. Really, take your time on this succinct response. Um, <laughs> How how does one land a job in esports and contribute to an industry they love? How the how is yeah the how is applying until you find a job, and that's the very literal sense, and it's it's not being discouraged again by being told no. And it's trying to create relationships with people within the space and understanding that you are valuable as an individual with some sort of skill or passion that you have. And remember, that skill might not be a, a, a literal skill. It might be work ethic is my skill. It might be staying up till 10, 11 p.m. every night to get something done is my skill. Um, so understanding that you probably have a skill that, that a company already wants, you just have to go out and apply to a dozen, a hundred, a thousand jobs before you find it and be willing to be flexible with, with what you're doing early on in the space or at any time in the space. I mean, if, if you honestly care about being in the space so much, as far as how to contribute to this space overall, I think it comes back to a, a similar theme that we've been talking about. Uh, it's come up in multiple parts of the conversations of going above and beyond what's expected. Um, there are, in every industry, not just in the gaming industry, there are people who clock in at 9, 9 a.m., clock out at 5 or whatever their general start and work hour times are. But what are, what are you doing outside of the basic work that's contributing to your company or contributing to yourself or contributing to the, the larger community. Those are the things that, you know, I think define a person more so than the default work that they're responsible of doing. Um, yeah, so, so how are you going above and beyond in the space and, and in what you're capable of? I'd say that's how you contribute, honestly. Well, John, that's, that's a great response and I think it's fairly succinct uh, in... <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, of course, man. I just want to thank thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, spending the time to chat about your experience and uh, and your perspective on all all these things. I think uh, 
some, it was a valuable conversation. I'm glad to have it. Glad to learn a little bit more about you and your experience as well. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me, man. And was so happy to get a DM from you about this and that we got to have this conversation. I know it's going to lead to more conversations between you and I. And I'm like, I respect you so much and I, I value the friendship we have. So just please know that. As far as where to find me, uh, my handles on Instagram and Twitter are J-O-N-K-O-O-B. My name's John Koob. Um, Instagram and Twitter where I'm probably most active. Otherwise, uh, check out Steel Series. Our social media, I'm currently managing the majority of our global accounts content. So if you want to see what I'm doing from the business side, check that out, personal side. Uh, my handles are all J-O-N-K-O-O-B. So yeah, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate like you letting me uh, talk what felt like at you and at certain points, but I, I really appreciate your time, man. More than thankful and appreciative to be on this podcast. Super glad to have you, dude. And uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Until next time. All right. Ciao. I want to thank you all for listening. And at the end of the day, this podcast is a resource for you. So if you would like to hear more about a certain topic or profession in the industry, definitely reach out and let me know. You can find me on Twitter at WhatTheMeta or by searching for Not Spencer across all social media. Thanks again. Now go crush it.